Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be talking to Jeremy Teigen, who is the author of Why Veterans Run Military Service in American Presidential Elections, 1789 to 2016. The book is published by Temple University Press, and I have the pleasure to talk to Jeremy on the phone today. Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. It's great to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you for sharing the book and, and for uh, coming on today to talk about it. Uh, before we get to your interesting uh, book and your interesting research, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I am a professor of political science at Ramapo College in New Jersey, uh, where I've been uh, teaching since 2005. Uh, My research agenda tends to circulate around uh, elections, electoral uh, behavior, as well as the intersection of previous military service and American elections. Uh, wonderful. This the, the really interesting book um, that, that we're going to be talking about um, uh, has has a, a long historical span, um, and and I and I uh, want to add to the sort of the introduction to the book that that you have um, a book endorsement from Carl Rove, who is uh, speaks uh, very um, uh, pleasantly about about your book. So we, we talk about how Carl Rove got his hands on the book later, um, but let's talk about your, your the actual work. Um, you start the book with this um, really interesting story about Strom Thurmond. Right. Uh, to get us started, I, I wonder if you'd share that story, um, uh, why you began the book with it, and, and you know what, what the story actually says. So Strom Thurmond was uh, a World War II veteran, like so many uh, men his age were, uh, but he was a little older than the typical uh, GI. Uh, he had a desk job in England uh, during the ramp-up for D-Day. And he uh, wanted to get in on the uh, action. And so he convinced uh, the 80, some, some part of the 82nd Airborne to uh, let him ride shotgun on one of the more dangerous ways of getting into uh, Normandy, which was the uh, disposable combat airborne ferry, uh, the uh, uh, gliders, which were, you know, just a, a, a stubby airplane without a motor that, uh, You'd throw uh, a few men, a jeep, some weapons and ammo, uh, and uh, pull it behind a real airplane, point it at France, and hope for the best. He uh, and his and his unit uh, crashed in an apple orchard. Uh, were instantly under fire, and uh, after a while, they were. Uh, he he got sorted out with uh, another individual, who uh, uh, reports that Strom Thurmond uh, jumped into the foxhole and said. Being in here on this this here D-Day is going to be worth 250,000 votes back home. And that stuck with me as sort of uh, the conventional wisdom that uh, being a military veteran is uh, somehow a uh, an asset uh, on election day that American voters prefer uh, veterans in some way, shape or form uh, on, on election day. And whether or not it actually resulted in that, Strom Thurmond wasn't wrong. He uh, went on to a uh, a notable and, and successful uh, political career after uh, returning from the war, 
in some ways, what 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 Strom Thurmond says is is what most people sort of w- would assume that that uh, military service is a positive. Um, your book is really about uh, uh, examining whether that's true, how true that is, um, and, and so forth. You, you focus on on the on the presidency, um, and I wonder if we can uh, talk just in, in aggregate terms. Uh, whether Strom Thurmond was right at the presidential level. How, how often have parties nominated candidates with a military background? We can talk about exactly what that means in, in a moment. And, and how does that compare to what we would expect uh, of the, the overall size of the veteran uh, population at, at given points in time? So can I give us some of this, this overall look at the, what the numbers say. Sure, sure. That's a, a great question. And, and sort of the motivating uh, force that impelled the, the, the book, which is confronting a puzzle, which is, you know, the United States is a nation founded on fairly anti-militarist principles that had um, pronounced fears of a standing army. Uh, yet of the 76 uh, or so major party nominees uh, since Washington, um, more than half of them have had military service. So the re- trying to find the reasons behind that, that that our, the reason that our electoral system somehow favors the nomination of military veterans uh, was, was one of the more motivating forces behind this. And the first place I, I looked was to try to challenge that, that conventional wisdom that uh, Strom Thurmond uh, screamed from a foxhole, which is, you know, is it a, 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 an asset on election day? Because if, if, if American voters actually preferred veterans on election day, that would go very far in explaining uh, and, and probably wouldn't warrant a book. Uh, but I, I, I ran um, quantitative models on more than a decade of congressional elections uh, and uh, more than a half century of presidential elections and tried to discover whether or not there was a uh, uh, somehow a, a veteran advantage that, that you can find when um, uh, testing, controlling for the, the things we know shape uh, uh, election outcomes. And the truth is, I couldn't find a systematic advantage that veterans enjoy um, that 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 you know, that exists in all contexts. Like there's no you know overall you know two to five percentage point uh, just to sort of speak arbitrarily what what the conventional wisdom might expect uh, advantage that, that veterans enjoy. In fact, there are a few elections when um, the veterans of one party did worse than um, the non-veterans of that party that were similarly situated, and so you know. You know, some kind of veteran boost on election day is is not the reason why there have been so many uh, veterans uh, running for president. As well as uh, you mentioned, Congress, the, the same the same thing is true in the on the congressional side. There have been a lot of uh, veterans in Congress and running for Congress as well, far more than you'd expect if uh, you know we somehow randomly chose you know people into political office. Now, Strom Thurmond had, had a very specific job in the military, and it was not a high ranking general. Um, it seems one of the goals of your book, and is also consistent with what you just said about um, sort of the overall findings. Um, uh, one of the goals of the book is to break down military service in, into a, a ta- taxonomy of sorts. I wonder if you can describe the way that you did that, um, and and what it permits you to uh, do uh, uh, that others haven't done in connecting uh, one's veteran service to uh, electoral outcomes. That is uh, another um, really good question because it, it focuses on, on what, what I was forced to do uh, when I sort of looked at this puzzle inductively, which is to try to look for patterns and say, you know, what, 
if, if more than half of these individuals were, were military veterans, um, what does that mean? And that got me into thinking of, well, we've had different patterns of veteran emergence over time. And so I was, I seen, I needed to differentiate, uh, the, the, the Eisenhowers from the Kennedys, you know, to pick two people that, that were both uh, presidential candidates in the same, uh, same, you know, 10 year cycle. And that there's a really, uh, big contrast in the kind of military service um, across eras. So if we take a look at the, the individuals that served in World War II, for example, they tended to be um, veterans that served very briefly uh, in low, low officer ranks uh, and uh, got out of the service uh, immediately at war's, war's end in order to come home and uh, grab the lower rungs of the political ladder. Whereas the individuals that served um, in the military and went on to run for the presidency in the antebellum period tended to be careerists in the military, high ranking generals that were trying to make a lateral entry into uh, presidential politics without having, you know, climbed the typical uh, 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 presidential uh, uh, path that, that goes through say a, a house race and then a, a Senate race or a gubernatorial run before the, the presidential aspiration. So I, I needed to break, this service into a few different kinds of categories um, to include a, a common veteran, somebody who served in uh, you know peacetime, wartime without any combat exposure. Uh, the combat veterans uh, were a unique category. Uh, the careerist general is a category, as well as I needed to make a, a sort of a small category for the Civil War general because they were uh, they were generals uh, in a very different way than we think of you know a contemporary general because they they made it from uh, civilian to colonel to general within a, a couple uh, <laughs> a couple of years uh, just because of the needs of the Civil War and the fact that it was a, a pre-professionalized uh, service at the time. And then, of course, I have the non-veteran category uh, to uh, encompass the uh, minority of individuals that, that ran for president who did not have military service. And, and how do you deal with some of the tall tales that are told about military service? Um, the the exaggerations in some cases uh, that that uh, sometimes get picked up during campaigns about someone claiming to have done X and they actually only did Y. Um, how does that uh, enter into the debate, which is the, sort of the qualitative dimension of it, how people actually talk about their service? It's one thing to have it on a resume. It's another thing to make it a feature of one's campaign. Is there a difference between uh, veterans that ran as veterans and veterans that have run, um, you know, as, as, as other, as other things and, and just have that as a part of their personal biography. There have been, uh, military veterans, some with quite valorous, uh, military experience that actually downplayed it or tried to make it a, uh, just a, a biograph, bi- biographical, you know, checkbox that they wanted to get past. Uh, I'm thinking of George McGovern as, as sort of the, uh, biggest mismatch between the, the service record and the amount that it was discussed. Uh, he flew one of the most dangerous roles. Uh, he was a bomber pilot during World War II that, you know, flew many daytime missions uh, over over Europe uh, and went through many harrowing scrapes. Uh, but when he came back and started his political career, he, um, you know, partially his, 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 you know, his campaign folks, you know, wanted to, because of his positions on Vietnam, wanted to downplay his, his military experience. So there were, uh, for, for people like George McGovern, um, 
it wasn't uh, central to their to their political identity. But he's kind of the exception. Uh, for most people with military service, when they're running their first campaigns, um, they made their military service quite central. And and this is fairly typical um, for the the the, the post World War II generation, uh, including the 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 folks who served uh, in Vietnam, is that. They tend to, um, you know, in their bi- biographical information on their websites, on their, on their flyers, uh, on their uh, campaign leaflets, etc. Uh, being a military veteran is is usually uh, name checked pretty high in their um, electoral efforts. Now, this this is this is a sort of a, a nuance of the book that's I mentioned in a couple of places. But how much of this is push and how much of this is is pull um, when we have uh, candidate recruitment? Do we see parties seeking out those uh, uh, veterans, uh, or or are veterans more likely to just express interest in running for office? There's got to be both push and pull. That's a, that's a really good question because it it, it really gets to the center of what the, where this appeal comes from. Because if we have this overrepresentation of veterans, and I only mean that in a quantitative way, uh, there you know the and election day doesn't provide an advantage for veterans. Then something between the candidate selection mechanism and the nomination uh, has to be where this uh, this 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 veteran um, uh, appeal comes from. And I think that you're right that uh, not only are veterans uh, more likely to have the kind of civic engagement, um, you know, you know, uh, you know, streak in their in their personality, but I, I think parties go out of their way to uh, help candidates uh, and, and favor them in their candidate selection mechanism. And this is as old as uh, the antebellum period, Andrew Jackson, and it's as new as the midterms this cycle. There's a, a stunning number of, of military veterans that are running uh, for Congress this fall, and uh, they, they, it's hard to put a, uh, a number on it right now because the, the primaries are, are not over yet, and so I don't want to you know, use, use numbers until we can actually do some apples to apples. But the the news cycles uh, this like this 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 time around feel that there's going to be a high number of veterans running and not just running in long shot races but running in some competitive ones with a lot of Democrats making uh, a lot of hay with their with their military service records and and is that um, d- does that suggest that there is an era that uh, uh, most resembles the one that we are in now? You break the the book and some of the chapters into major eras and and compare. Uh, and this this makes sense because uh, military conflicts do not happen uh, either randomly or uniformly across uh, the time period that you study, 1789 to 2016. So uh, uh, given what you just suggest about where we're at now, is, is there an era that this resembles where there were large numbers of uh, military veterans running or um, is this uh, unprecedented in some ways? It's it's unique in, in a couple of respects. Uh, so if I were to, you know, if, if this book were to be written, you know, in, in 30 years and this were, you know, another, you know, set of, of presidential elections that I clumped into a case study, um, it, it certainly wouldn't look like the World War II or the Vietnam era because all the individuals that have served in the armed forces since 1973 chose to do so willingly, whereas the World War II and Vietnam cohorts had both volunteers, um, but with, you know, high numbers of, of conscripts as well. Uh, so this this cohort of, of individuals that have been trickling into Congress before, I don't want to make it sound like 2018 is the is the first time we've seen 
uh, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans running for Congress. But it, it, this it's 2018 seems to be um, uh, a, a qualitative uh, shift upward, something substantially different than what's happened. Um, as far as another past year that it might resemble, you know, the name Teddy Roosevelt comes to mind, um, but he was an exception in his era. He was of the profiles of the military veterans in the book. Uh, TR was probably the most fun to to read and write about because no one worked harder to get into combat than than Teddy Roosevelt. He was a man that uh, you know had he he was running for for uh, you know the New York uh, legislature and uh, began his political career uh, and he he lived with a stain that his father had paid a substitute in the civil war. And it was the sole thing that, that he felt badly that his father had ever done. He worshiped his father, but that stain was something that may have motivated him to try to get into the fight any way he could. And he just lived in an era where we didn't have a lot of them. And so when the one war that happened, uh, the Spanish American war, uh, he, he went through extraordinary means to try to get into, into the fight. Uh, and it took a great deal of sort of bureaucratic, um, wrangling and uh, political manipulation, as well as his own sort of deft maneuvering to get his unit uh, into the uh, in, in, into the, the the right boat that would get to the war in time for the the brief uh, the brief war in Cuba. And so, him as a, a volunteer, uh, I think you might find some parallels there. But by and large, I think this this cohort of of, of veterans from the uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom and Enduring Freedom. They they're, they're going to make their own chapter. I think they're going to be uh, they're going to form their own patterns that are apart from uh, past years. Yeah, well, one of the things that that differs greatly across the this uh, the time period of the book is the the presence of women and women in large numbers in the military. Um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about about gender um, and whether uh, uh, how it fits into uh, the the story that you tell about the past, but also more importantly about the future. Um, could it be that the larger number of women serving in the military and serving in a, a wider array of positions going to be advantageous for uh, women candidates with veterans' uh, backgrounds in, in the future? Is, is that something that uh, we can anticipate? Uh, so maybe you can talk a little bit about how that fits in. Women in, in politics is, is uh, you know, a, a, an evolving story, of course, um, and, and scholarship on you know, women's entry into politics, especially in the last... 25 years um, has focused a lot on on the on, on, on women's identity and, and how it intersects with voters and elections. Women with military experience, um, and we're we're speaking very speculatively. Uh, we, we we just haven't had high numbers of them, um, and so uh, we we as a scholarly community have done a bad job of 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 uh, ignore we we've, we've ignored them. You know, I've been publishing on military veterans uh, in the electorate for, you know, for 15, 20 years. And it, I, I just simply ignore them. You know, there's the, the numbers just aren't enough to get analytical leverage. And that's just not good enough anymore, given that we have a larger numbers of women serving in the armed forces, making larger numbers of, of female veterans. And to imagine the Tulsi Gabbards and the Tammy Duckworths uh, that are in Congress today with military service means that we can't ignore this question anymore. The, you know, after 2018, uh, we'll know how many more are, are entering Congress. And it, it, 
it's unquestionably the case that uh, even if a minority of them win their races this fall, that uh, among females, veterans would be really over overrepresented in Congress because there just aren't that many female veterans elected. Uh, but we've got uh, some notables uh, both in Congress and running for Congress. I think that it's an asset for women, uh, military service that is, uh, because you know voters rely on a on a set of heuristics to make very quick decisions about candidates. Um, you know whether they you know the first and most primary, of course, is knowing what party they're uh, running with. But small biographical traits can do a lot to communicate, um, you know, information. And so military veteran is a, a, a tag that is, that easily communicates a whole lot of things to voters. I, I did an experiment uh, a few years ago where I varied the, uh, campaign advertisement of a, uh, a congressional ad and I varied the uh, military service record so that some, some respondents Saw the, um, no, the, saw, saw the, the candidate as a military veteran where other people, um, just saw the candidate, uh, without the military service heuristic. And the people that saw the congressional candidate with military service, um, vastly perceived that he was better able to handle national security and defense issues, uh, than the, the folks that saw his doppelganger that lacked military service. And so I think that, you know, women will gain uh, an advantage uh, for some fence-sitting voters who are, you know, not necessarily set in their partisan ways, uh, but will see uh, more dimensions to a female candidate because it opens the door to considering that, you know, a, a, a female has national security and defense chops uh, when they might not otherwise. Yeah, the the book um, again is why veterans run military service in American presidential elections, seventeen eighty nine to two thousand sixteen. Uh, Jeremy's book is published by Temple University Press. Uh, Jeremy, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a great pleasure speaking with you. Ruth. 